It seems to me like devotion should be the easiest possible thing for humans to understand. It's like the way they come out. And I wonder why you think people seem to have such a hard time. Is it a forgetting or is it harder than I think it is? The first thing that comes to mind is fear and separation. And what's interesting is from an astrological perspective that dips us straight into the malefics mm. and straight into the uh, the challenging and less maybe less constructive side of the malefics. Um, with Saturn, we find fear, and with Mars, we find separation. And this becomes very interesting when we also think about Venus's, um, you know, historically, textually, citational, or citable, citable connection to priests and priestessing and temples and temple work and all of this other kind of stuff. Devotion is love. Right. It is it is love in action, but love is also kind of already inherently in action. So it's almost silly to make that statement, but also it's useful to have that statement. And love can be extremely terrifying when love has been experienced as combined with danger. Right. So one of my um, theories I'm trying to remember when I first had this thought. I feel like I first had this thought at one point in like 2012 or something. I was taking a, uh, what are those called when you have independent study? Um, I was taking an independent study on Proust. Um, sorry, I am that person <laughs> um, with one of my favorite professors in, in college. And um we were working on a côté de Jean-Fille en fleur. Um, and there was something in that text, I'm not even going to be able to cite it exactly, but I was just hit with this sensation that so much of what can be experienced as the problems of the world is kind of like that moment when a parent doesn't show up for a child. And it doesn't even have to be like a parent being a terrible parent. It can just be that totally normal mismatch of timing where, you know, the child is at a particularly vulnerable moment and the parent can't show up in the perfect way in that moment, but it creates a schism, right? And if we take that schism down a dark and winding and pain-filled path, the experience of separation, the pain of separation, the mistrust of that with which one wish to wishes to be unified, like it just becomes this fraught tangle. And if this is coupled with other forms of more um, textbooked traumas, I would say, versus just the very normal trauma of realizing that you actually aren't a continuous being with your parent in the way that you were when you were gestating. <laughs> um, you know, like if, if this, if this continues or if this is layered with additional harms, then the open hearted sensation of unification that can be, a common experience with devotional practice, like it becomes something that isn't trusted, 
right? Like if there aren't surrounding, um, surrounding containers that facilitate trusting the devotional experience and the connected experience, whether that be an absence of um, outright religious experience hmm. or even just the implicit embeddedness that can come with um, being welcomed into a social or ecological ecosystem, right? Like there's just, I don't trust that. Hmm. And the the layers of callus around a heart become very thick, right? The walls around Sleeping Beauty's castle um, become absolutely covered with, uh, you know, brambles with thorns the size of saber-toothed tiger teeth and, you know, all of this kind of thing. Um, and I actually love that Sleeping Beauty is coming to mind because I think in many ways it is an apt... Um, story for the reignition of devotional connectiveness, right? It's like something has to go through, has to be willing to be shredded um, in order to make it inside and, um, you know, smooch the princess and waken aliveness again, right? Um, and it doesn't, you know, whatever, you can take this in a whole bunch of different directions, but <laughs> some of which we should not even touch. But I, you know, I think that the, it's the hardening and the mistrust and the, the blocking off of the potential of harm that then leads to an, an in-access to devotional states of being. Mm -hmm. um, and what's funny is that the balm for the pain and the fear and the um, dread of potential harm, like the antidote to that is also devotion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's this paradoxical quality to it. Um, and as you said, it's like devotion and devotional engagement, just the kind of wide-eyed, adoring wonder that is a human characteristic. Like we are 1 million percent just born into that. So in a way, there's so much effort that has to be put into maintaining the walls and the brambles, right? Like there will be repeated, you know, princes at the gate trying to cut their way in. You know, there will be, you know, migratory birds, that cross over the castle grounds and remember when there was an orchard there. Um, you know, there are the continued songs and maybe at the right time you hear the song that happens to, I don't know, unwind a little bit of the bramble to let something in. And, you know, maybe there's a labyrinth that the, the prince has to carve through first. Maybe there's, uh, you know, puzzle boxes and, uh, you know, a series of, bosses that have to be taken down with magical potions like who knows right we can really we can have a lot of fun with this this story but the point is devotion wants to wake up mm. there, there's a question there for me about maturation i want to i want to mm -hmm. hear it like I, I feel like i hear you saying it in terms of waking up um but there's i definitely meant to make the connection that you immediately made between like parent child relationships and like 
particular being divine relationships and how, how these things are sort of, first of all, one thing, but also um, how those lenses inform each other when understanding the process of devotion. Um, but this thing you just said about wanting to wake up, like that to me feels related to the idea of like growth uh, mm-hmm. through life and being devoted to that itself is sort of like a way of staying alive. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're not devoted to growing, like you're not, you're, you, you can't or something like that. There's something harmful to me about the, about the idea that like learning this lesson is how you grow up or, or at mm. least like there's a coarse way of putting it. And, and I, yeah. I, I wonder what you think about this like maturation thing and whether there are pitfalls looking at it that way. I feel like maybe a way of looking at it is ripening rather than maturation because maturation and like being an active participant in your growth, um, you know, it's not that that's not part of it, but there is something about, you know, when, you know, it's like all of the different uh, versions of, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, You know, it takes the time it takes. you know, seeing clients and they're coming to me at exactly the right time and they're coming to me specifically at the specifically correct time. Like, um, there, there are these, like, you know, it's like, uh, roses aren't supposed to bloom in the middle of January in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. right? It's the wrong time. It doesn't mean that there are no roses in Minnesota. And so there is, you know, there's, yeah, this like the, the act of participation and maturation and like the quote unquote lessons that must be learned. And then there's the simple, like, you know, is your growth plate done? Like you don't think about your growth plate being done growing, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you don't act like, you know, it's like your act of participation in your shins, like coming into full form is eating enough food, <laughs> right. Yes. right? So there's this indirect quality, I think, to, you know, waking up or ripening into devotion that just feels really important to keep in mind. Like you can't rush it in the same, you know, it's like the another cheesy metaphor. You can't pull the moth out of its chrysalis unless you want that moth to never fly. Indirectness is a very, it's, it's very, it's, it's a helpful way into the understanding of relatedness and relationships, which is obviously somewhere I wanted this conversation to go because it has, it brings with it the sort of implication that you don't do it all yourself. Like in the very oh, same way no. that you don't grow your own legs on purpose, like the, the, the entire ecosystem supports that happening. Um, but you made it very explicit in bringing in another kind of pseudo parental relationship in the teacher student model mm-hmm. and, and, and also referred to your own work, which is helping facilitate this devotion for people. And so I'm, I want to know about the way you see the explicit role of helping someone mm. learn to be devoted from the outside. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh man, it's so beautiful. <laughs> One, it's, it's a, uh, if I think about it too much, I'm going to start crying because oh. I feel so fucking lucky, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's, I mean, it, ah, oh, man. Um, at one point, um, our 
mutual beloved Sasha Ravitch called me a planetary intimacy guide. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something in there of asking people questions that help them to see what they want and what's possible. As well as just being like, well, this is what I've seen for myself. This is what I've seen for other people. Like, what what does that what what do you want? What does that actually look like for you? It's, it's not an imposition of a perfect ideal devotional style. Um, you know, depending on people's traditions, there are ways that are correct. There are ways that are incorrect. But I would say that the most important thing is to come with the most open heart that you can sustainably maintain, and then to work on making it possible for you to have an even more open heart. And so, you know, it totally depends on what people are coming in with. You know, it's like if people have parent stuff, then we're going to talk about parent stuff in some way. If people have uh, religious institution stuff, like I have so many ex-evangelicals who come to me, and I think it's because I grew up in a Bible belty place, but was not myself... um, submerged (laughs) in it so i can i get a lot of the references i understand a lot of the stuff without having as much uh personal damage um from it um so if people have institution religion stuff that is impeding their um devotional ripening i like this i like this phrase i'm thinking about berries right if it's impeding their devotional ripening then i'm just like cool let's shine a little sun on that berry and see if we can get a little more sweetness going there Mm -hmm. you know if people are coming in with atheism right which is a super interesting one to work with um then it's questions around um you know what why is a disenchanted worldview better who taught you that is that actually true in your body Right. It doesn't like the logic part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the experiential part that really, that really matters. And so, you know, it's like devotional work as incarnate human beings is body work. It occurs to me that you can't be devoted to someone whom you don't really know. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe, yeah. maybe there is a continuum and you get to know someone and can, be, and, and uh, like, can you like, well, I guess that's an open question. Like maybe you are, maybe you don't really know your mother when you're born, but you're pretty mm-hmm. devoted. So, you know, but there's, there's, it, it's like, there's a push and pull, like the more, you know, about everything, the more you have to know in order to be devoted, you know, like once you learn how people really are or whatever, you know, it's, 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 you have to, you have to then learn more about yourself, learn more about devotion itself in order to Mm -hmm. remain devoted. Um, do you think that's true? And also, can you talk about whether or not you think that's true in terms of the devotional path to the divine as much Mm -hmm. as with people? I don't think that knowing is necessary for devotion. I think that um, developing familiarity and presence is part of love. Mm -hmm. But knowing as in like having lots of scholarly book knowledge Mm -hmm. is not necessary for devotion. So, you know, in my in my in my mind right now, I'm like, you know, getting an image of, say, um, uh like a grandmother who is tending a rhododendron that her grandmother planted. Mm. And there's not necessarily the botanical knowledge 
that undergirds the relationship of devotional tending of that rhododendron over, you know, decades and decades. But there is the knowledge that comes from presence and presence and presence and noticing, like being able to know a being enough to say this is normal and this is not normal. Um, you know, there there is an infestation of some kind. There are mice in the roots. There's, you know, some kind of... Um, I don't know, fungus growing here that requires sufficient knowledge of what that being, how that being usually is. But that's not the same as, well, phylogenetically and mm. chemically speaking, and mm. these are the constituents and the ideal light ranges, you know, like none of that is necessary for devotion. It can participate in it, but it's not necessary. You know, it's just like having a, you know, a very well delineated timeline for your spouse's growth and development, you don't need that to love your spouse. Mm -hmm. You just need proximity and presence and attention and attentiveness. So it's like the knowledge that comes from attentiveness feeds into devotional practice and devotional process. And, but it's it doesn't have to be studious in the academic sense so if you're doing the work, you yourself are doing this work and it's going really well, like with one person, is your teaching that devotion comes first? Like say it's to someone who's never had an encounter with the divine as a presence mm. before. Like mm. is devotion something to be cultivated in advance of meeting that being and, and getting to know them. Can, can you prompt someone into relation by mm. calling to their sense of devotion first, even if they don't know who's on the other side of the door? Yes, because devotion isn't just about, you know, beings, right? So, um, what comes to mind is a an ex from a few years ago who was an illustrator and an artist and um, so had a certain kind of aesthetic attentiveness. And, you know, he witnessed me, you know, in devotional practice from time to time and whatever. And he was just like, I don't really get it. And then we were in Zion National Park, which is ridiculously beautiful. And at a certain point we're like on this hike and he's looking up at these mountains and he looks at me and he's like, these are gods. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, this is what you've been talking about. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you know, that my goal in, you know, sharing parts of my practice with him was not to get him to see the divine in the world, but I don't think he would have been, you know, it's like if you never learn about color theory, you're not necessarily going to understand a Rothko at a certain level, mm -hmm. but you can still understand a Rothko when you're standing in front of one without knowing any color theory. Mm -hmm. However, if you have color theory and you go to a Rothko, there is a greater openness to that sensation that is standing in front of a Rothko than if you don't have any color theory. So it's like going to Zion National Park for the first time when you've never been in the American West you're going to have that like, wow, oh my God sensation. 
But if you've also been hanging out with a devotion bitch TM, <laughs> the, the oh my God sensu <laughs> sensation is also an oh my they're gods sensation. <laughs> 